Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Good morning and welcome along to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. The Champions League is back on the agenda this week as the race for the last 16 enters its halfway point. Four Premier League sides in action across last night and this evening and we'll be reviewing and previewing each game on today's podcast. From last night, TAA went from AWOL to AOK. Liverpool fans never doubted their number 66 and Trent Alexander-Arnold repaid the Anfield faithful. He bagged a brilliant goal as they cruised to a 2-0 win over Rangers. But as the goals rained down and the rain rained down on Merseyside, Spurs' derby hangover saw them struggle in Germany. 0-0 on the night in Frankfurt as Antonio Conte's Champions League curse continues. And moving on to tonight's action, Erling Haaland has Copenhagen in his sights as the Danes head for Manchester and Graham Potter's Chelsea, which let's be honest, still sounds a little bit strange. They take on Italian champions AC Milan. One point shared between Potter and Thomas Tuchel so far this season and he needs a win at the bridge. And then to wrap it up, we're going to be looking at Wednesday's All Questions Asked Dead simple, you ask the questions, and if you're lucky, you might get yourself a straight answer. So, let's get cracking. My name's Fergal Brennan, and on midweek duty, we have two guys that could brighten up the wettest of wet Wednesdays. Jim Salverson and Joel Tudor. Guys, how are we doing? Very good, thank you, Fergal. I need to pull you up early today, though, because Wednesday's AQA doesn't stand for all questions asked. It stands for any question answered. If it was all questions asked... 
we'd be here forever <laughs> to try to tackle every single question under the sun. So just any question answered rather than every question asked today. Okay, right. We have to look into that. We might have to change our acronyms or at least uh, I have to just be a bit more careful with my research. Either way, there's going to be some questions and there's going to be some answers. Uh, but that's pushed on to part three of the show. Part one is Champions League reviews from last night. Liverpool 2, Rangers 0 and Frankfurt 0, Spurs 0. We're going to start at Anfield, Joel. Liverpool... Impressive performance on the night, albeit against a limited Rangers side. And Trent Alexander-Arnold, Liverpool's number 66, finding himself at the forefront pre-game and post-game. Fantastic goal to set Liverpool on their way. Mo Salah knocking in a penalty to wrap it up after the break. This wasn't a night of putting it to bed in terms of the argument of should he go with England to the World Cup? Is he good enough to play for Liverpool at right back? But when he performs like this... He is very, very good. I know a lot of people prob probably be thinking, oh, what a way to silence your doubters and your critics after the last week of what has seemed to be Trent Alexander-Arnold evening news everywhere. But no one's ever doubted this aspect of his game once. Everyone knows that his output is probably one of the best a fullback's ever done in this country. And you've seen it yesterday with the free kick. I don't think anyone's ever said he needs to score more goals, he needs to assist more goals. That's part of one of the biggest strengths of his game is the other part of it, which is getting the criticism. And, you know, although Rangers don't pose a massive amount of a, a threat, I would just say that I feel like his weaknesses are just being exposed more than ever this season. And that's not purely based on his part. It's more so the fact that the whole team isn't, hasn't been performing um, as it should have been because usually Liverpool are completely smothering their opponents in the press. So he barely gets any exposure whatsoever, which is what we've seen in the last few years. However, this season has been the one where, you know, the midfield hasn't had enough engine and enough energy to actually come and cover him. He's always been one-on-one -on -one at times and that's basically exposed him against the really quick and agile and skillful wingers in the Premier League. But I think it was a, it, I think it was just a routine performance from Liverpool, to be honest. I didn't expect them to fall up short against Rangers. You know, all due respect to Rangers, I know the Scottish champions, but there's a massive quality difference when it comes to these kind of games. And I think, especially like you just mentioned, the formation change as well. I think it was probably necessary from Klopp to do that because as we've seen in the last nine games, basically, where they've only managed to get three wins prior to this one. The midfield is getting overrun completely. They don't control midfield like they used to. And I think having two sitting midfielders, I think Jordan Henderson played the number six really well too, um, considering he's been getting a lot of criticism as well. And I think it just allowed the forwards to have a little bit more freedom, a little bit more creativity where... I think at times the likes of Nunez and Salah were not really coming into the game as much. They weren't getting involved and it just felt as though in this game they were able to really influence it a lot more than I've seen in the last few games. So I think it was necessary from Klopp. I think he's realised that he can't continue with this midfield in a, with a, with a three-man midfield because it's not the same midfield as the last few years in terms of the output that is given and obviously, you know, the injuries that they've had. Um, but I think, yeah, it was a pretty normal performance from Liverpool in terms of the result that you would typically expect them to get, but it's a confidence booster, isn't it?
I think to come back to Trent Alexander-Arnold as well, the formation played to his strengths because playing those two midfielders defending the back line, that allows him to get more involved in the attacking play and push on because his defensive duties just aren't the same. And I think that obviously contributed to his performance last night. But as Joel says, it it has to be tempered with the fact of who Arsenal, uh, who, who Liverpool were playing, sorry. And they were up against a Rangers team that... I think have been found out a little bit in the Champions League. They've done well in the Scottish Premier, yeah, but it looks like a poor league that this season. And it's been a, as much as this might offend our Scottish listeners, if we do have any, it's been a decaying league for a fair few years now. So if Liverpool can play the likes of Rangers every week, they'll be fine and Trent Alexander will be fine. But when it comes to England in the World Cup, when it comes to Liverpool playing the top teams in a very competitive Premier League, they are going to be found wanting occasionally because Trent Alexander-Arnold, as is well documented, doesn't really have the defensive nous to be classed as a real top-level out-and-out right-back. My take on this is I, th- I think there is an element that this narrative around him is it's grown legs, the, the story around Trent not being able to defend and the fact that he does get caught out. I think even an ardent Liverpool fan would say, yes, on occasion, he does get caught out positionally and maybe in one-on-one situations. But sometimes this just gets massively exaggerated. We're not talking about someone that every game is getting torn to pieces or caught out again and again and again and again. And the, the big thing for me was was on Monday night when, when Gary Neville was talking about him. Gary Neville is the benchmark for Premier League right-backs. And he is saying no full-back that he's ever seen in English football can do what Trent Alexander-Arnold can do. He said, if he can work on some of those basic defensive things, then great. But this is one of the best attacking right-backs this country has ever produced. And I think Neville is putting a little message in there, particularly in relation to this conversation around England, and saying, Gareth Southgate, don't waste him. If there's bits and pieces that can be worked on, if there's a midfield structure, as Liverpool are trying to do, that can look to help him in certain areas, don't waste this opportunity. And I'm just looking at some of his stats from the last couple of seasons. It's insane. Progressive passes, he's been top in the Premier League for two seasons in a row. Crosses, he's been top for two seasons in a row. And goal-created actions, he's been top for two seasons in a row. And in a couple of those, he's been top across Europe's top five leagues. That is absolutely insane. And then we're talking about he loses the occasional header. I just, I just find it, I just find it insane, and I think Neville's point is. Well, the occasional header can lead to a goal, can't it? It can, I mean, but he's, he's not it. getting done every game, it depends, or, or on an absolutely regular basis. It depends basis. what you need. It depends what you need in your squad to whether he's the right person to fill that. And I'd argue that England probably had enough attacking players to make the most, although they don't necessarily prove it on a game by game basis. But you'd think there are enough attacking players in that team to make the most of it. There's enough people that can stand over and take a decent free kick. So you kind of want the right back in that scenario, particularly when England are playing a four at the back, which we don't see a huge amount. The main priority is defending rather than necessarily pushing forward in the way Trent does. So I kind of get your point, and he is a generational talent in terms of him being an attacking fullback but whether he's the right player to fit into that England squad when you have a limited number of right backs you can take with you and a huge amount of talent in that area that's why I don't see him going I just want to wrap up on Trent super quickly Jim because obviously the conversation about England is, is going to keep rolling between now and the World Cup I do get what you're both saying that obviously the attacking and the progressive side of his game is stronger than the defensive side but 
those players in the England side that are able to take a free kick and able to create a, a goal scoring opportunity, Grealish, Foden, Sterling, Declan Rice, etc. Time and again over the last two or three seasons in the Premier League where they're all playing, Trent has had a better output than all of them. So if that logic gets passed into England and into the World Cup, if there's going to be a chance to be created, Trent is better than all of them. I think the difference there is the England setup's just entirely different because we saw it in the Euros. Southgate goes into some kind of defeatist mentality where he feels like the better side should have more dominance and control. And I think him at Ryback, he'll be more susceptible to even more attacks because don't forget Liverpool, every game, they have 70-80% of the possession. He's basically playing as a winger and he doesn't really need to think backwards because he has the likes of Van Dijk or he has a midfielder to cover him. But with England, they don't play that way. They almost shrivel up a little bit and go on the defensive we saw it in the final for example when they scored and I don't know if I'd be confident in scoring against Italy then having to sit back with him at right back for the whole 90 minutes rather than Reese James who's a little bit more physical a little bit more agile um, and I, I just don't think he fits if, I, if I'm honest it feels like he'd be better in midfield for England because we have zero options there in terms of creativity um, but I just think the system that Klopp has plays to every single one of his strengths whereas the system that Southgate has I think it opens up more flaws for him rather than actually going forward and that's the issue in my opinion I think it's very simple what England needs to do Jurgen Klopp for England there you go that fixes this problem <laughs> oh, and, uh, and stops this <coughs> and stops this uh, this debate rolling on right and um, before we move on to Spurs Jim I want to ask you about the changes system Jim uh, sorry Joel touched on it before Jurgen Klopp's been wedded to 4-3-3 the majority of his time in charge at Liverpool. He went to a 4-2-3-1 last night. Jordan Henderson and Thiago sit in and basically trying to get all of his best attacking players on the pitch, not including Trent Alexander-Arnold, at once. So we had Mohamed Salah, Luis Diaz, Diogo Jota and Darwin Nunez. Nunez has had a bit of a stop-start time in English football. Headbutting Joe Commanderson obviously played a big role in that. He's had a couple of injuries as well. Is this the we talked about how this gets the best out of Alexander-Arnold. Is this the best or maybe even the only way to get Darwin Nunez into this Liverpool team? Because he needs to play through the middle. He likes to play as a lone front man. He's not a Firmino that kind of dips in and links with the midfield. They've spent so much money on him and now they're probably going to have to rebuild the majority of the team to get him in the starting eleven. I think it's... A little bit early to kind of write him off that he can't fit into any other formation other than the one we saw from Liverpool last night because it is early days for him in the Premier League and we know that some players do take a long time to adapt into the Premier League but clearly for the money Liverpool spent on him they want him to be the main man and they want him to morph into their version of Erling Haaland but let's not write him off too early. I mean it worked last night for Liverpool you can't doubt that and Nunes had plenty of chances as well. If it wasn't for Alan McGregor in the Rangers goal, he would have got a hat for. I think Alan McGregor would be, I don't know if he actually got the man of the match, but he certainly should have got the man of the match, made some stunning saves last night and kept the score down, even though they lost ultimately. So, yeah, I mean, it was nice to see that much attacking talent on the pitch for Liverpool, but I don't necessarily think that is the only solution they have in terms of playing Nunes or in terms of making the best out of the attacking options they have. What I would say is, would you expect Liverpool to line up like that week in, week out in the Premier League? And playing two holding midfielders feels like overkill, particularly in a game 
against the likes of Rangers, for example. So I don't know how tolerant the Liverpool fans will be of seeing that. We saw it at Manchester City when Pep Guardiola has chosen to play the double pivot, if you like, mm. against lesser opposition. And City fans don't like that. They want to see a more uh, attacking, offensive lineup. So I don't know how tolerant Liverpool fans will be if Jurgen Klopp is playing that formation against the likes of Fulham or Nottingham Forest, for example. Um, but it does add a plan B to what they've got available. And like I say, it worked last night. So I'm sure while Jurgen Klopp sorts out the defensive frailties that the Liverpool side have at the moment, it's something we're going to see again. Right, we're going to move on to Tottenham. Just to wrap up Group A, Napoli's 6-1 whacking of Ajax means that they stay top of Group A on nine points, Liverpool in second on six. So moving on to Spurs, Joel. Frankfurt nil, Tottenham nil means just one Champions League win for Antonio Conte's side so far this season. And there was a lack of thrust, a lack of zip from Tottenham, if you will, away in Germany. Obviously losing the North London derby at the weekend. Half chances for Harry Kane and Ivan Perisic, but not really anything to get wildly excited about and Antonio Antonio Conte even gave his mumbly press conference after the game where he said it wasn't very good enough in terms of intensity they need to be more clinical and in the Champions League these levels do get cranked up if you get one or two chances you need to take them because you're not going to get that many they've only got two Champions League goals this season from nine shots on target that's not a great return we're at the halfway stage now in terms of pushing for the last 16 and things are looking a bit sticky for Spurs if they want to make the knockouts. Well, this kind of game, I was just confused at the fact that they only had one shot on target and seven shots in total when you have a forward line of Kane, Son and Richarlison. I mean, Kane and Son, they're two of the best attackers in Europe for the last few years now. And I just don't think it's acceptable that you can have such a prolific attack and you're barely even testing the opposition keeper. I just think that the Conte system in Europe, it seems to go a little bit further back on the pitch rather than pushing up, really trying to suffocate the opponent. It's almost like he goes into a different mentality when he goes into Europe in terms of trying to snatch a victory or respecting the, the opponent a little bit too much. But when you have those kind of forwards, I feel like you need to use them way more because that's what that's what their strengths are. I mean, Son got 25 Premier League goals last season. Kane not too far off as well. You've got to be wrapping up these games pretty quickly when you have that amount of firepower up front. And it's just... They've, they've put themselves in a massively difficult situation now because Spurs in their group, even though when we first saw it, it looked relatively easy. Conte's proved time and time again now that a group is never easy when he's the one managing the team in it. Um, you know, Sporting <laughs> last night, they got beat surprisingly, but then they convincingly beat Tottenham before. Eintracht Frankfurt, they've shown that they're pretty resilient despite not necessarily belonging in the Champions League. Obviously, they got there through the Europa League. And Marseille, again, you know, they're showing a lifeline. And after these first three games, four points is still a good return in it. That's that, that's pretty good. But I would be nervous if our Spurs fans going into these final few games of the group stages because it just feels to me like all of those three teams that I've mentioned can cause problems for Tottenham and they don't seem like sure fit wins as I would expect if, you know, the likes of any other of the English sides were facing their teams. It seems like with Tottenham and, and Conte in Europe, there's just so many frailties and 
for me, if if they can't win the group, I think that's pretty much their campaign done and dusted because I do not trust that Tottenham side to go up against the likes of Real Madrid, Bayern, uh, Paris Saint-Germain and be able to get a result if they can't even convincingly win against these kind of sides. But on the flip side... The group stages isn't mass- massively, you know, relative to the rest of the competition because I feel like it ups a gear in the motivation and it ups a gear in how ser- not how seriously take it, but in terms of just the whole feel towards the tournament. But right now, they just need to focus on getting out of that group because every team in there realistically now has a chance of getting out of it, which is pretty worrying for Tottenham. Why do you think, both of you, why do you think that Conte's style of football doesn't seem to work in European competition or in cup competition because in general, we've talked about this before, you kind of see pragmatic, slightly dull, defensive football, grinding out draws, grabbing 1-0 wins. That tends to be the kind of football that takes you deep into a competition, if not then eventually get beaten by Real Madrid or Barcelona or Manchester City or something along those lines. So I don't really understand because on paper... Conte's football should work in that scenario. It should guarantee him qualification from a group. It should get him through those kind of earlier knockout stages against, and I use the word carefully because no one in the Champions League is lesser opposition, but lesser opposition. So I don't really understand why it doesn't work for him. Um, I would say personally, looking at it, I think it's it's a system thing. He's quite wedded to this 3-4-3. He's played it in pretty much every game so far this season. And when you've got a very straight midfield... You're not having runners going the other side of the opposition midfield. And it just becomes, instead of a chess game, it becomes a drafts game where nobody really goes too far forward or too far back or does too much. And I think in the Premier League, it's a little bit more adaptable because Kane will drop in and make one of the opposition midfielders drop back. That gives a little bit of space. But I think in Europe, and particularly against sides, as Joel rightly says, the other side in this group will have been looking at Spurs and going, you're probably stronger than us and you're under a bit more pressure to get to the last 16 so all we do is nullify you and if we get a chance we stick it away and Frankfurt probably had the better chances last night so I think a lot of it comes down to that if Kane isn't able to dip into that little hole and make the opposition midfielders make a decision about where they're going to position themselves then Hoiberg and Bentancur or whoever are not really able to move past them and I think if you don't have a bit of goal scoring burst from your midfield in Europe it can be a problem. What What do you think, Joel? I just feel as though in the Premier League, and it's been proven in his managerial career, when he's solely focusing on their campaign in the domestic competition, it's almost like he has enough time to really plan out what he needs to do for the weekend. And then when he gets to the weekday Champions League game, it's been proven that his record, he comes unstuck against the better sides. I mean, when you look at his victories, his, his record in the Champions League, he's played 36 games and he's only won 12 of them. That's a 33% win rate, which is pretty appalling considering the teams that he's managed. And then you look at the victories that he's had in those 13 games, two against Celtic, Copenhagen, Norgeland, Shakhtar Donetsk, Slavia Prague. The best team that he beat was Atletico Madrid. And I think that was with that Chelsea team. I don't know if they ended up losing that tie though. He's, it seems as though he just gets tactically outsmarted or outplayed against the more capable teams and the more capable managers. And it's almost, I think he said it uh, when he was at Inter Milan, when he ended up going out of the group stages twice. And that was the season that Inter Milan won the Scudetto for the first time in 10 years when Lukaku had an amazing season, ended up getting a move to Chelsea. And he just said that the one of the reasons he thinks is that 
the teams that he takes over don't have a solid basis to actually go on in the competition. And when you look at it, that Juventus side that he had, it had a solid basis to go all the way. I mean, Allegri proved it the next year when he went to the final against Barcelona. That Chelsea team with Diego Costa should have gone way further. Maybe as an argument with Inter Milan and with his current Tottenham side, but even still, look at this group at the moment. No disrespect to anyone in their group, but Tottenham should be head and shoulders above them. And I think he's just very stubborn tactically. I don't think he likes to adapt to the game and the situation. He's very his way or no way. And I think he needs to just push further up the pitch because Kane and Son should be absolutely lashing out chances in front of that goal and being able to get their stats up but right now they're just really struggling and it just feels like a bit of a slog it doesn't feel like they've got out of second gear yet but I don't know what their second gear is because I've still not seen it I've yet to see it so it'll be interesting to see these last few games but judging from you know his record 33% win rate I wouldn't back this Tottenham side to go all the way in the Champions League because it just seems as though he comes unstuck time and time again. Just to say quickly on their attacking threat Spurs last night as well, they did have chances and I think it was mainly Son who they fell to. And I think Conte has to look at himself slightly as to why he didn't take those chances. We know he's scored hatfuls of goals in the past, but he's not really having the same opportunities in that Spurs side as he has had previously. And if you've not got a player playing week in, week out, and I know he came on the other week and managed to get a hat-trick in 20 minutes or whatever it was, but if you've not got a player playing week in, week out at the top level, they're not going to be quite as sharp as they might be otherwise. So when they're called upon to fill in, as Son has been over the last couple of games, then you can't expect them to play at quite the same level. So maybe if there had been more rotation or maybe if Son had been playing a little bit more, got a bit more game time, it would have been a slightly different story for them last night. Yeah, and you get the sense that next week in North London at home to Frankfurt is going to be absolutely crucial. Joel, as you say, Group D, super, super tight. Sporting Lisbon top with six points. Spurs on four in second. And then on third is Frankfurt. Obviously, goal difference keeps Tottenham ahead of them. They've got four points as well. And Marseille bottom, but with three points. So all to play for in Group D. D. Right, we're going to wrap it up for part one of the podcast. Part two, we are previewing tonight's games. Manchester City at home to Copenhagen and Graham Potter's Chelsea take on AC Milan. All that to come in just a sec. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you wanna get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday I will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary VGW group voidware prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
Welcome back to Wednesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. We are in Champions League mode. Before the break, we discussed Liverpool's 2-0 win over Rangers and Spurs drawing a blank away in Frankfurt. Right, we're going to move on to tonight's games, Jim. Manchester City at home to Copenhagen. Back-to-back Champions League wins for City so far. Copenhagen managing just a point. On paper, that dreaded term, this should be absolutely routine and straightforward for City. Pep Guardiola's made a couple of changes from the team that faced Sevilla and faced Dortmund. John Stones, Carl Walker and Calvin Phillips all still sidelined. And Rodri, who missed the Manchester derby at the weekend, is unlikely to be risked. This shouldn't be a problem for Pep. No, 100% it should not. It should be... What's routine is the word I'm looking for. Routine. That's, yeah. that's an even better cliche. Yeah, I'm, it was the cliche bell. Let's hear it somewhere. There we go. Hang on. One second. There we go. Good old cliche bell. There we go. Um, yeah, I mean, City seem to be in that situation at the moment. We found themselves in a couple of seasons ago when they went on that unbeaten run at the beginning of the season and everyone was questioning whether they'd be the new unbeatables. It's just really difficult to see them losing. At the moment, at some point it will happen, but it just doesn't feel like it's going to be tonight versus Copenhagen. The one risk, I guess, for Pep Guardiola is he does try a little bit of Pep roulette, bring some new players in, practices some of the youths, gives them some game time, and it doesn't quite work for them. But it's difficult to see with Copenhagen's form in the Champions League so far that that's going to be the case. I'm actually going to this game tonight because I'm taking my lad and... I want him to play a strong team, mainly because one of the reasons I'm going is I want to see Erling Haaland. I want to see the great big Norwegian meat robot do his thing on the pitch. <laughs> and I'll be really disappointed if he doesn't play. And I think there's a situation emerging around Manchester City where they are becoming the new Galacticos. When people go and see them, they want to see the superstars. They want to see Erling Haaland. They want to see Kevin De Bruyne. And if they want to become this club that is like Real Madrid and Manchester United that has this kind of aura around them and attracts fans from all over the world and fills their stadium week in, week out. There is going to be a pressure on them to play those superstars week in, week out as well because people don't want to come and see a second string team playing in the League Cup or the FA Cup or against the likes of Copenhagen in the Champions League. So I want to see a full team and I think there'll be a slight pressure for him not to rotate too much as well. But it does look like it's going to be a little bit of a cakewalk tonight. I just have this uh, future vision of Jim and his son arriving home tonight. How was the game, son? Dad was very upset because he didn't get to see his Norwegian meat robot. <laughs> I can I can picture tears in the kitchen in, in the Salverson household. Uh, also, I think it could be a declaration of Scandinavian war. If Erling Haaland plays tonight and he batters Copenhagen, we could have an international incident on our hands. I, I think he will play. I think Southampton at the weekend is not enough of a reason to rest him for this. But, Joel, there will be a bit of tinkering from Pep Guardiola, Pep Roulette, as, as Jim called it. And two players that we might get to see start their first Champions League game for City is Julian Alvarez and uh, Cole Palmer, obviously famous for his interview last season, the Prem soon come. They could get a shout here. They've had a little bit of action off the bench so far this season, but Alvarez is one of them players that I really want to see more of him because the bits that I have seen, he's been really, really impressive. And, and Cole Palmer, similarly to Phil Foden two, three years ago, City fans are absolutely raving about him. 
well, these are the only games where the City youth system can actually get a bit of a chance. Because I remember with Phil Foden, he always, when he first came into the side, he was getting 20 minutes in the Champions League or the last 10 minutes in the Premier League. But because the City side is just so stacked and so competitive, that I feel there's even more pressure on their youngsters because... Pep hasn't got the time of day to be bedding in a young guy when he's got titles to win and he's got a ridiculous amount of strength on the bench that he can bring on. I mean, Riyad Mahrez was on the bench uh, against United at the weekend and I don't even know if he came on. I think it was the last 10 minutes. But this is what I mean. He has to take his chance in these games where he has to put in a real good performance. And then obviously with Julian Alvarez, it almost feels like a ready-made fit for Gabriel Jesus as in the ready-made backup who's going to guarantee goals because from what I've seen of him, he just looks like the typical striker who's going to get himself in the right positions. But in this City side, I mean, I feel like us three could do a job up front because they create about 10 chances a game. <laughs> they create about 10 chances a game and they're good chances as in you need to be in the right position at the right time. And when you have someone like Kevin De Bruyne who looks like he he could go on and break a assist record, maybe the Thierry Henry assist record this season if he... Oh, it's his record as well, isn't it? I think he equaled it a couple of seasons ago. He could potentially break it this season purely because Haaland is just so prolific, which... He didn't have in previous seasons and he still managed to get that amount of assists so with a guy up front now who is basically not going to squander any of those balls that he puts into the box or you know threaded the needle through balls when he's on the run I mean the sky's the limit for them too isn't it but I would definitely think that this is one of those games where Pep can um, give a break to some of the players who actually needs it. But I think in terms of Haaland, I think it's different this time around because when you look at the, the World Cup, which is in a month and a half time, I think if that wasn't there, he would start giving Haaland breaks and that's purely because his injury record hasn't been the best in the last few years, especially at Dortmund. And because Haaland isn't going to the World Cup as well, he probably thinks, well, I can use him as much as I like up until November and he's going to get a one-month solid break and then he's going to come back completely fresh again. So right now, he's almost risk-free. Obviously, unless he gets some freak injury that puts him out for months. I mean, if he gets some muscle strain or whatever, I mean, a month's time is a long enough time to have a break. So I think for Pep, he's in a really good position where he can use him with no qualms about you know, potentially burning him out when he gets to December time when the fixtures pick up because there isn't going to be a December time. Yeah, I agree. I think, to be honest, I think if you fire a machine gun at Erling Haaland at the moment, he'd, he'd be fine. He'd just bounce up again and, and stick one in the back of the net. Um, <laughs> Ivan Drago. Yeah, I just don't, I just don't think you can take him down. Um, I'm going to go three for three, straightforward for, for Man City, and they're pretty much there in terms of reaching the last 16. Right, we're going to switch across to Chelsea because, Jim, things are not nearly as straightforward for Graham Potter as they are for Pep Guardiola. Just one Champions League point shared between him and Thomas Tuchel so far this season. Season. They're up against AC Milan tonight, defending Serie A champions, but have not been great since the start of the domestic season. Just five wins from eight, but they've got four points in the bag in the Champions League already. We joked at the start and saying it's still a little bit odd calling it Graham Potter's Chelsea, but it's been a bit of a slow burner. They needed a late goal against Palace to get three points at the weekend in the Premier League. That's the first domestic win ticked off for him. But you get the sense that this needs to click tonight it's not been a good start in Europe it's not been a great start overall either under Tuchel or possibly so far under Potter 
you get the impression tonight in front of a full Stamford Bridge, this is what he went to Chelsea for. Games like this, nights like this, but he needs to get the result. I'm not sure I agree with you that he needs to get a result and it needs to click now because I think Graham Potter has been brought in to begin a bit of a project at Chelsea. We don't really know what the Chelsea board are going to be like this new board. We don't know how patient they're going to be, whether they're going to have the same temperament as um, Roman Abramovich in terms of sacking off managers if they don't succeed, although the early signs are there that they could well have that same temperament. But I think Potter will be given a bit of time. And I think also Graham Potter's strength is his weakness at this point in his Chelsea tenure. So there's two things we know about Graham Potter. One is the fluidity that he likes his squad to have. We saw it at Brighton and we saw it at... I've completely forgotten the club he was at before, Brighton. I, I'm going to very quickly Swansea. Google it, Jim. You carry on. Oh, Swansea, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we saw it at Swansea and we saw it at Brighton as well, that he kind of likes his players to play a very fluid system. He likes some interchange between where they are on the pitch. And it takes a while for a team to understand that form of play. He's not going in and going, right, we're playing a 4-4-2, get the ball to the front men, which is an instant click when you're in relegation problems. He's trying to build a new philosophy at Chelsea. And I think you need to give that a little bit of time. And the other thing that takes time is Graham Potter is a brilliant man manager. He's got that higher level degree in emotional intelligence and he builds personal relationships with his players before he then goes on to build those professional relationships. And that's something that doesn't happen overnight as well. So I don't think the pressure is directly on Graham Potter at the moment and the other thing to consider is this Champions League situation they find themselves in yeah he only got a draw in his first game but it was first game at Chelsea manager he'd only been in the job like four days I don't think the expectations were too high at that point so I'm not sure it's quite fair to lump him with the problem that is of Thomas Tuchel's making in terms of Chelsea's Champions League position it will be considered a bit of a disaster if they don't qualify for the next stage of the competition and in all honesty they probably I mean not mathematically they don't need three points tonight against Milan but I think realistically they need three points tonight against Milan in order to secure a path to the next round and it will be considered bad if they don't do that but I don't think it's necessarily going to mean Graham Potter is walking out the Chelsea training ground with his possessions under his arm yet. Uh, Osterson, that was the side that I was hurriedly trying to think of when you were thinking of Swansea, uh, Jim. Or if you want to be, if you want to be super hipster, here's a stat for you that I've just dug up. Uh, he was the last ever manager of Leeds Carnegie FC, which were the Leeds Metropolitan University team. The club dissolved when Graham Potter left. So there you go. There's a, there's a stat for you to keep in there. That that was the club that was on the tip of my that, yeah, tongue. Exactly, that's, yeah. the, that's the one I remember yeah, for their free-flowing, fluid football. We know that you're a big wheel in, uh, in university football, Jim. <laughs> when, when you're not on the podcast, you can be uh, spotted in the rain watching university football. Um, Joel, I want to ask you about this. Go back to what I mentioned to Jim before about Graham Potter needing a result tonight. I, I meant it more within the context of, of getting through to the last 16 because if they lose tonight, that's the halfway stage in the group stages. They'll just have a point on the board. Milan will be up to seven. Depending on how Dynamo Zagreb, RB Salzburg goes, one of them could break away. And then you've got Chelsea slightly chasing it. They've still got enough within the squad with three games to go to get through. But because he is completely unproven in the Champions League, for himself, he'll want this result. Because this is a, a squad that have got 
umpteen Champions League appearances and wins under their belts. You know, Thiago Silva's got 50,000 Champions League games. Graham Potter has only got one. So he needs this in that sense to say, yes, I'm a Champions League manager rather than a manager managing in the Champions League. To be honest, first and foremost, I don't even know what Champions League experience even means because we've seen managers who've done amazingly well in your experience of managing in the Champions League. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not like it's a different. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. It's not like it's a different football pitch to the Premier League. It's still a football pitch, eleven versus eleven. You don't need to jumpers for goal. You don't need to get a galactic um, system. I don't. It's, it's strange to me. It's still a football pitch. Still have to play against eleven other guys. Um, it doesn't mean that you know it's a totally different approach to the Premier League. I just think he needs to get his system right because Chelsea have the right players they have way more higher quality but I think with this kind of game especially with how the fixtures are coming up at the moment I think there are, there is a lot of pressure on paper for Chelsea to actually get a result in this because on the return fixture just after this they have to go to Milan and play away so if they don't get a result tonight or let's say it's a draw and they have to go to the San Siro and they still don't get a result. I mean, Milan are probably going to be home and dry in that group and they have to hope that Dynamo Zagreb don't start getting results because obviously Zagreb have to play Salzburg home and away. It could get very tricky for them then. So I think this game could be a pretty big catalyst for how they're going to do in Europe this season or how they're going to do in the group stages. But it's been quite a turbulent first month I would say for Graham Potter because he's only played two games in a month which is quite strange considering you would think it will in October time he's going to play 50 100% times that another 10 games Um, but obviously you know he had the postponements of the Queen passing and then they had the international break so he's not really even really had much time on the training pitch either he's he's still probably trying to figure out what what system's best um, who Play, which players can play in the positions that he needs the most, what specialists. So I think even still, this October time is going to be a little bit more telling of how he's going to do in the Chelsea job. But I think he's been left with such a talented squad. It just has too many jigsaw pieces that need to be moulded together and some that don't fit together. Because let's not forget, they just had their biggest ever transfer window in their history, in the history of the English football. Uh, nearly 300 million. They've got some ridiculous talents there. But I mean, Milan even though they're the Italian champions and there's three points off the top in, in Italy, they still have some super dangerous players. I mean, Rafael Liao, who was linked with Chelsea in the summer, I think with a 120 million bid, but Maldini said absolutely no chance. He's got four in four. He's going to be real danger man tonight, one to watch. Um, but I think tonight is is pretty essential, I would say, to try and get a result because going to the San Siro needing a victory is not a situation you want to be putting yourself into. Uh, super quick before we take a break, call this for us, Jim. How's it going to go down? I don't know. <laughs> it could literally go either way at the moment. I mean, neither team is in particularly good form. As you said, at the top of the segment, Milan are struggling a little bit in Syria and Chelsea are yet to find their feet under Graham Potter and it could literally go either way. It feels like it's going to be quite a cagey affair, but I don't think we're going to suddenly see Chelsea finding their feet in the way Liverpool appear to against Rangers. So I think... I think both teams would probably settle for a battling draw tonight and that might just be enough to keep Chelsea in the picture. Joel, what are you saying? I think it's going to be something like a 2-2 draw, to be honest. I still feel as though 
Graham Potter still finding his feet, finding his system. And I think it's going to be a really difficult game tonight because Milan are on the back of a really good comeback in their last game. I'm sure they're going to be pumped for it. Yeah, I'm going to be a fence sitter as well. I'm going to go for a one-all draw at Stamford Bridge. Uh, right, we are going to grab a break. After the break, Jim, I'm going to get this wrong again. So we're doing our regular questions section, also known as... AQA, any question answered. Correct. Yes, that's exactly what we'll be doing after the break. We'll be answering your social media questions on all things Premier League. Back in a sec. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the Football Social Daily Wednesday edition. To wrap up today's podcast, we are answering your questions. We've got a couple of questions in from Telegram today. So we're going to start with Liam. He wants to know how far will each Premier League side go in their respective European competition? So that's Champions League, Europa League and Europa Conference League. So we're going to divide it up with your specialisms of Manchester United and West Ham. To start with, Joel... Champions League, four Premier League sides in the Champions League. How are they going to fare? I think the ones that are going to do the best, I think obviously Manchester City, I can see them getting to the final. I don't think they're going to win it. But I think with Erling Haaland, they they have probably the best chance they've ever had, I would say, to actually go all the way. I just think they lacked that prolific person up front who could finish the chances that ended up completely messing up their chances in the last campaigns. Um, I think Spurs, last 16, an absolute push. Chelsea, I would say probably similar. Um, And who's the last one I'm looking for? Liverpool. Liverpool. With Liverpool, you never know in the Champions League. Um, I think it depends on their league form and how they're doing once they get to the knockout stages. But, you know, I still wouldn't discount them getting to a quarterfinal or a semi-final even still. Um, especially with a January window to approach going into those knockout games. But yeah, I think City and Liverpool, of course, but I think City are absolutely home and dry in terms of their chances this season. So you're going for City final potential winners, Liverpool quarter semis and Spurs and Chelsea last 16-ish. Jim, what are you saying? I think Joel's right with Liverpool. I think it's probably the quarters. I expect the semis from them. They're just too good not to find their feet at some point this season. And I think it will start to bed in over the next few weeks. I don't think they'll be out of the picture, certainly in terms of Champions League. I don't think they're quite there to get to the finals 
this year, but I think quarters or semis is very realistic. Spurs, I think they'll just scrape through this group, but when they come up against anything a little bit more competitive in the first knockout phase, that could be where their Champions League journey comes to an end. Chelsea, I think they're going out. I don't think they'll get through the group stages now. Like we said, tonight's game is really important in terms of how they go forward in the Champions League. And there's nothing to suggest that they're going to get three points against Milan and they're going to be rock bottom of that group with one point. It's a really perilous situation. And I think that'll do for them. City are going to win it. And I know we've said this a few times when it comes to Manchester City. We've said it a load of times that this is their year. This is their year. But I think it's a brave man that bets against Manchester City this time round, not just because they've upgraded so significantly in the summer with the likes of Haaland coming in, with the likes of Alvarez, who's actually got a really good goal-scoring record considering the amount of minutes he's played on the pitch. I know two of his goals were against Nottingham Forest, so only really count for half, but still, he's got a decent rate of scoring so far. I think it's one every 80 minutes or something along those lines. So I think they've upgraded enough this season. We know they've got talent in their squad. And I also think the competition in the Champions League maybe is a tiny bit less than it has been previously. We know Barcelona have been off the boil. Real Madrid, you can never write them off. There's not the same competitiveness from the other Premier League teams. In seasons gone past, we've seen like four English teams in the quarterfinals. We're not going to see that this season. So it does feel like the stars are aligning a little bit for Manchester City. Joel, your specialist subject, Manchester United in the Europa League. As it stands, two games played, three points on the board. Arsenal obviously getting a game uh, postponed uh, a couple of weeks ago. I've only played one, but maximum points so far. So Arsenal and Man United in the Europa League. Call this for us. I think Arsenal... I would probably say a semis or a final for them. You would even say that they could potentially win it, judging on the current form. No. Please don't say that. Potentially, potentially, but I mean, there are <laughs> there are whoever drops into the champ, uh, from the Champions League in the third if they finish third in their groups. I mean, that can change everything, can't it? But um, yeah, Arsenal probably have the best chance. I would say, in terms of United, I mean, I think it just depends where we are when it comes to the knockout stages, because at the moment you can't really gauge just how well or how serious they're going to take it because we're against teams that, I mean, we came undone against Real Sociedad a few, a couple of weeks ago, which was a terrible performance. Um, But I think when we come up against the more difficult sides, I think we'll truly see just how serious Ten Hag wants to take it. And if we're really far from the top four places, because as we've seen in recent seasons, sometimes it's a nice little key entry into the Champions League if you don't really have great league form. But I do believe that Ten Hag's going to completely prioritise the league this season because it's important we start getting the league form back on track because the last few seasons have been absolutely shocking. So for United, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a semi-final, a push. I really don't see them going all the way. I just don't think we have quite enough in this competition at the moment. Somewhere, Jose Mourinho is crying tears of joy at the uh, the mark he's left on you, Joel, that you can get into the Champions <laughs> League through other means. Um, West Ham, Jim, semi-finalist in the Europa League last year. They're in the Europa Conference League this year and it's going well. Two wins from two so far in Europe. Not been great in the Premier League, albeit sacking Bruno Lage with three points at the weekend. How do you think your boys are going to get on in Europe this season? We've actually been pretty poor in Europe as well. It's just the opposition has thankfully been slightly <laughs> poorer. I don't think necessarily that was good of them. the six points. Yeah, I don't think necessarily the six points we've got in Group B have been 
hard earned but I do think West Ham's form will improve as the season goes on I've still got faith in David Moyes to turn it around and I have been impressed with the new signings that have been made even if they've not had a huge amount of game time yet and to be honest with you I think anything less than a semi-final position for West Ham in the Europa Conference is a little bit embarrassing when you look at the opposition and the other teams that are within there you'd back either West Ham Fiorentina or Villarreal to be finalists I think from the teams that are currently in the conference and West Ham need to be deep in this competition. I'd love to see him get to the final and if we get to the final we will no doubt lose it embarrassingly but I do think their expectations are pretty high for David Moyes to pick up some kind of silverware in this because it is the best chance of European qualification next season and it's the best chance in a long time for West Ham to actually put something in the trophy cabinet. I've just got my fingers crossed for a FC Colne away day in the latter stages because I love Cologne and I'd love to take a trip over there and see all the West Ham fans ruining Cologne for a weekend away it'd be ace that's the spirit uh, right we're going to move on to the second and final uh, telegram question that we've got in Joel this is from Mike T and it's talking about the situation at Nottingham Forest and who could or should replace Steve Cooper obviously defeat to Leicester on mon- Monday night just makes things even worse all those players that he brought in it's just not gelling so far they're rock bottom of the Premier League we just one win and he is now one to four to be sacked as the next Premier League manager to go Bruno Large obviously just beating him out the door at the weekend Chris Wilder and uh, Sean Dyche are the current favourites if Steve Cooper goes is it the right decision and who could replace him this season the the writing was always on the wall for Nottingham Forest in terms of the amount of players that they brought in we discussed this a couple of days ago where I don't understand how you can expect a manager to go and start the season all guns blazing with 22 new people it's it's Difficult enough as it is to make them all gel, considering they're all from different countries, different nationalities. They've never played each. Uh, they've never played with each other ever before, and to expect basically a whole new look group, a new team at the training ground, is asking a lot because he's still trying to tinker with what his best side is, what the what system suits his players rather than what players suit his because he doesn't have um, you know, the main bulk of the team from the championship last season. So it was always going to be such an uphill task compared to the other two teams that came up. I mean, Fulham, they still have a very um, steady team in terms of what they used last year. Again, Bournemouth, they didn't make many transfers, but they're looking a little bit better than they did at the start of the season. Whereas Nottingham Forest, it just it just feels as though there's not enough time to actually get everything in order there and I feel any manager is going to struggle coming into that because it's difficult I think to try and understand where your best strengths lie but if I was going to take a punt at what's going to happen I think October is going to be decisive in terms of what the owner wants to do because obviously there's a massive amount of games to come. But the name that sticks out for me and the guy who has done it time and time again is Sean Dyche. And I just think with his kind of approach, they just need a system that gets them guaranteed, working hard, getting results, no matter what the kind of football is being played. Because at the end of the day, especially for a new promoted side, I don't think the fans can expect beautiful 
playing football when you still are trying to bed in 22 people. Uh, so for me, I think Sean Dyche should be probably the favourite, I would say. But I just feel so harsh on Cooper because he's the guy who's got them up from the championship. And to think that he's already under pressure with the situation that everyone knew he had to go into is pretty cutthroat, but that's that's football, isn't it, at the moment? Jim, Forrester have got five games between now and the end of October. Two derbies against Villa and Wolves. They've also got to play Liverpool and Arsenal before Halloween. The writing does look to be on the wall for Steve Cooper. If he goes, is it Dyche getting Jesse Lingard in a, in a headlock? <laughs> I think you've got to give him to the World Cup. I know we keep on saying this, that that's the opportunity to assess what's going on if you're a manager and a chairman that's looking at something going wrong at the moment you need to take that step back then who comes in to replace him well I mean if he can't get that team to gel by then I don't know if there's anyone that can get that team to gel as Joel says it it doesn't necessarily feel like it's been put together with any real strategy and that's why there's rumours at the moment going around that the owner not only wants to sack the manager but he wants to sack his entire recruitment team because he thinks the players they've brought in have just been the wrong players and he's probably not far off. We don't know much about Marikinaris in terms of how brutal or lethal he is when swinging the axe but if he does make that call to get rid of Steve Cooper I think I'd go for Sean Dyche. I think he's the type of player that you need to bring in at this point. Someone who knows the league, who can play football that's a bit more attritional and maybe scrape Premier League survival out of the situation at Forest at the moment. The other name that's being touted around is, of course, Rafa Benitez, who feels like he's one of those big name managers that foreign owners like to bring in because they've heard of them and they've got a certain amount of status and he'd be an interesting choice but they're both very similar players in terms of how pragmatic they are in the football they play and they will be whoever comes in whether it's Sean Dyche or Rafa Benitez or a another their main job is going to be keeping that Nottingham Forest in the league by whatever means are necessary and I think that's going to mean some very ugly football being played at the Forest ground and you've got to look at that squad and go are they solid enough defensively? Do they have the personnel at the moment with the likes of Serge Aurier to actually be able to play attritional, ugly, defensive, solid football? Because I'm not entirely sure they do. Yeah, I think the bat signal for Sean Dyche might be fired into the sky pretty soon. What is the bat signal for Sean Dyche? I think it's a Guinness. <laughs> or a pasty or something. <laughs> or a goatee. Like... I think it's just a goatee. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. It'll be a goatee <laughs> with a big ginger light. I, uh, I would put forward the case for A Another if that means that Sam Allardyce doesn't get the job. So if A Another is listening, <laughs> please go for this job in case Sam Allardyce is interested. Uh, right, we're going to wrap it up for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Jim, Joel, thank you so much. Thanks, nice guys. One. Cheers, guys. Brilliant stuff. We'll be back a little bit later on today with Football Social Daily Shots. And then the team will be in place tomorrow, reviewing tonight's Champions League games and previewing tomorrow's Europa League matches. It is all go, so make sure you check out the next episode. Hit subscribe up the top, and we will speak to you very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.